We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. No mic today, but he should be back tomorrow. Today, we're going to reflect back on an important and underrated player from, I think, an important and underrated era in Lakers history that really set the stage for a lot of what ended up happening over the last 25 years or so. Yesterday's pod was on Magic Johnson as one of the basketball gods and his retirement, which is going to be 30 years ago in November. Can you believe that, D? 30 years, man. We're old. Um, we, are, we are definitely old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so that announcement, Magic's retirement, obviously had you know massive social implications, the awareness of HIV. Like It rippled through society much far beyond basketball. But for the purposes of this pod, I want to just talk about it from the basketball perspective. The Lakers were in the finals, man, in 91. And one of the storylines of that final series was we didn't have a lot of ball handling. So Scottie Pippen picked up magic full court and we didn't have much to turn to. And so the needs of that team, if we were, you know, doing this 30 years ago, going into that that offseason, we would have said we needed another ball handler. And so we get Sidale three. We're excited about that. And we're hoping Eldon and Vlade are getting a little older. Magic's still, you know, wonderful player. He's, he's still one of the best players in the NBA. We have these kind of fringe, we could win a title if things go right for us. We were, after all, just in the finals. Magic retires, and now all of a sudden, we're a seventh or eighth seed overnight. And we have a couple of years where where we are, I believe, the eighth seed, back-to-back seasons. We almost get the Suns. We almost beat them in a 1-8 matchup one year. We go up 2 nothing, but lose the last three. And as this is happening, James Worthy's knees are starting to go. So James actually retired after his age 32 season, which is really remarkable, right? Like, it, it was a shame that that he had to retire so early. But D, overnight, we went from being a superstar-led team with finals aspirations to being in kind of that that limbo of fringe playoff team. And then we finally do miss the playoffs in the 92, 93 season. Yeah. Remember how big of a deal it was that the Lakers didn't make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. That was, it it was unprecedented, right? They, I I think at that point it'd been, I don't know, man, 
20 something seasons like it had been and a long during time. The bus era. When I, sorry, yeah. when I say unprecedented, I mean during the, the bus era, yes. right? Like yes. Dr. Bus bought the team in 1979, and immediately we draft Magic Johnson. Immediately we win the, we win the NBA title. His first year, we are either on top or near it the entire tenure. But Magic's retirement changes that overnight. Yeah. Well, during the Magic Johnson pod, you would mention Magic and the Lakers went to nine NBA finals in his 12 seasons as a player and they won five championships right and so basically in the span of 12 years they basically won a championship every other year and were in the finals basically every year but three and even those three years they were the favorites to get to the finals at least to represent the western conference and And that's all you can ask for before a season right is that you're a contender you are you're in the conversation of being one of the Anywhere from like four to half a dozen teams that have a legitimate shot to winning the NBA championship. And that's what the Lakers were. And so the magic retirement drastically affected the team's trajectory and and their position within the league. Right. And there was a couple of seasons there where it was like, oh, my goodness, sort of the scrappy Lakers. Yeah, they played hard. They were entertaining, right? But they were an eighth seed and then eventually missed the playoffs. Yes. I, I mean, I remember just like loving Sedale three and and Chick mm-hmm. Hearn. He used to call him the thief, the thief. right? Yep. Because he had these great hands and he would get on ball steals a lot. And he had that great pull up jumper driving left, like free throw line, 18 foot jumper. The like, Williams style. Yep. Yeah, like that that shot that is basically the most analytic unfriendly shot today, right? Like that's where it's a Dale 3 8, basically. And it was a really feel-good story for the Lakers to play as well as they did in the aftermath of Magic Johnson's retirement and for the reasons that that Magic retired. But to go from that then to then them being out of the playoffs entirely, it was like otherworldly, like your brain didn't even comprehend that the Lakers weren't going to make the playoffs, right? Like they're not one of the eight best teams in the Western conference. That seems unfathomable. That's right. And that's how we entered the 1994 season as is we just missed the playoffs after two previous years where we were not a contender after magic's retirement and lost in the first round of the playoffs. And on top of that, there's no, there's no shack yet. There's no big free agent. We don't have a ton of cap space. We have the 10th pick in the draft, which is our first lottery pick in ages, but it's that's not, you know, one of those top 3 top 5 guys. And so the surrounding context of this, it was important to me to establish it because that's why this era and Cedric Sabalos in particular was important in the story of the Lakers and kind of getting us to that next era was that offseason. We drafted Eddie Jones with the 10th pick in the draft. He was a senior out of Temple. He was like 23 years old when he came into the league, played under the great John Chaney. And he was one of those rare rookies that was NBA ready right away, right? In part because of his age, excellent defender, great athlete in transition. We had drafted Van Exel in the second round the year before. Uh, We had Anthony Peeler on the team, but it was a group of young guys, right? Like Van Exel was going into his second season. We didn't really have a leader. We had Vlade and Eldon, and these were all kind of like role guys that really needed a guy who could put the ball in the bucket. And that's where you enter Cedric Sabalos. 24 years old, played with Phoenix, which was one of those teams that beat us. I think they may have beat us both times uh, in, in the first round there. 
they had a little too much on the wing. They had Richard Dumas there. They had Dan Marley, who was kind of a 2-3. And Sabalos was coming up on free agency. So they decided, hey, let's get a late first-round pick for him, even though he was a 24-year-old averaging 19 a game for them. And Sabalos, man, immediately we go from a 33-win team to a 48 team. And Sabalos being the guy that we could count on to score every single night. And it was the way that he scored. I'll get into that a little bit later. But he was reason, like, we were a respectable team. We were a respectable team overnight in a way that didn't seem possible going into that offseason, just having the 10th pick and not really having cap space. But these two years, the Lake Show years to me, were what put us in the position to sign Shaq. That's right. Put us in the position to enter that next era. So, Anyway, I'd love to reminisce with you on Sabalos and, and that era. No, I think you nailed it in terms of, and this is what Jerry West did, right? And, and so Sabalos mm-hmm. is sort of the forward version of grabbing Sadell 3. Now, 3 was older, right, when he got him, but it was West had this uncanny ability to both target talent in the draft but also have a good pro personnel scouting eye. Yes. Other guys in the league that could contribute. Yeah. And and so like if, if you're an NFL guy, there are pro personnel scouts, right? And there are like college scouts and those guys don't always mix into like they, they have a specialty Mm -hmm. and, and West was a guy who always seemed to be able to grab another veteran that might be undervalued some or wasn't necessarily in the right role with another team. And he would try to pluck that guy and bring mm-hmm. him to the Lakers as, mm-hmm. as a contributing player. Who, who are some other guys? Just a couple other names that you could think well, of that fit that so, bill. Well, I think, so Mitch Kupchak did this well too, right? Mm-hmm. But Mitch came up at- Yeah, as his right-hand man for a like, long time. Like a time. Jerry West, right? And, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I remember for, for example, and these are later, so these are after Jerry West, but like Trevor Ariza was like that the first time. Right. 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 And Actually, even Mitch Kupchak, it's funny you brought him up. I thought you were going to bring him up as a player because he was an early 80s acquisition that totally fit that that uh, that mold. Well, and, you know, later Michael Thompson, Orlando Woolridge. These are guys. I, that, I, yeah. I mean, Jamal Wilkes, like Bob McAdoo, mm-hmm. like later end of like like of his career. Mm-hmm. West had that golden touch, obviously. Yes. Right. And it's why he's one of the greatest general managers in the history of the NBA. Right. Like he's probably right up there if you want to say red hour back is is right there too like whatever right but but the logo he stands alone and when he got Sabalos and he just like you said he had averaged 19 points a game the previous season for the Suns and the idea of okay the Lakers had a hole at sort of small forward right worthy had been gone just just like you said and mm-hmm. it was an up-and-coming team, but a team that did not quite have its bearings yet, right? Like, I remember liking Anthony Peeler. I remember, like, and I remember thinking, like, oh, George Lynch, he could mm-hmm. be a pretty good player, right? And and, and then you still had Eldon and Vlade. Van Exel was a revelation yeah. as a second-round pick. And so the Lakers were accumulating younger talent to sort of go next to their established veterans, but all of those veterans were real role players, right? And grabbing Sabalos, he wasn't a st- 
star in the star sense, right? But he was a player who could do the thing that is still the most valuable thing in the NBA to this day, right? Which is getting you a basket. And I don't know about you. I wasn't so familiar with Sabalos' all-around game or, or how he quite did it. Right. Like this was before the league pass days. We saw the Suns four times a year and you might catch them more if they were on national TV. Right. Like the Sunday NBC games or that's when they had Barkley. They were a high profile team at the time. Yeah, they were. And so you would you would see them, but it's not like you could turn them on on a random Wednesday night. Different era, like in the middle of February and say, oh, oh, yeah, the Suns are playing the Rockets let's watch dream against Barkley right and, and and let's see how how that game goes and like oh who's this Sabalos guy like he's he's really doing it so I didn't quite have a sense of who Sabalos was as a player but we quickly learned like oh this dude is brash he and he really is a confident and he understood the nuances of offensive basketball in a way that was super interesting for a player his size. Yes, yes, absolutely. Let's take a quick break. We're a little early, but let's take a quick break because I want to get into Cedric's game because he was one of the more fun scorers that we've had. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. 
do you remember for two years in the mid nineties, and this is when Cedric was on our team, the three point line was shortened. You remember yes. that little era, right? Where yeah. they moved it in. The league had gone more def- more defensively oriented with the the Knicks had a real uh, impact on the league. The Pistons had won a couple of titles. And the NBA has always been a kind of a copycat league where the team that is prominent and on top, their style of play starts to really influence how, how other teams approach things. And so the league was trying to open things up. And they decided, you know, we're going to move the line that's been 23 feet and nine inches at its furthest points and then 22 in the corner. We're going to make it 22 all the way around. So that corner three, everywhere is a corner three. No one took advantage of that more than Cedric Sabalos did. Shot 40% from three immediately overnight after being like a high 20s, you know, 30%. He was only a 30% three-point shooter for his career. But that added on top of... He was one of the most clever finishers around the basket I've ever seen. He used that that space along the baseline. Um, kind of similar score to Trez is, is a guy that I could compare him to. Where you, Anton Jameson comes to mind, too, as, as sort of that guy who lives in, not in the restricted area, but not like out to the mid post, right? Like there was that, there's that in-between area that a lot of players aren't comfortable living. It's like constantly living in floater range. And it's that's just right. like, like that's where you live. That's where you eat. And, and he was really good there. He was, he was great there. And on those baseline, the thing I remember about him is the ability to use the baseline and that what, what is it like a foot between the back, the back yeah. of the backboard and the actual baseline that space behind. And so he would sweep along the baseline, wouldn't step out of bounds. Van Exel would find him on that cut. And he was so good D at leaning back. And when you're a scorer in that position, you know, you're under the basket. So you actually have to move backward to get into position to actually put the ball in the hoop. You've also got a big man trying to block your shot. And so all of the angles, you know, the ability to make layups where you're kind of shooting it high up off the top and so that it just kind of glances off of the backboard versus one where you're banking it lower off the backboard and you've got a little more velocity on it. Being able to do that with either hand while contorting your legs going this way, your upper body going that way. Sabalos' ability to score in those situations meant that we didn't have to run a lot of plays for him. So he had a very democratic way of scoring where he didn't dominate the ball at all. Chick used to call him the garbage man because and nobody and, would pick up more loose balls and just kind of like BS around the rim. Like, oh, somehow the ball found Cedric Sabalos and now he's scored. Somehow the ball found Cedric Sabalos. Yeah, it's because Cedric Sabalos had a nose for the ball like a yeah. eagle. Yes. Right? Like this That's dude right. was just always lurking. He was always lurking. He's like your homie. It's just like, oh. You got some French fries there? Oh, let me get a, a couple French uh-huh, fries. Yeah, like, yeah. Right, right, like he was he was one of those dudes, but he was like that with buckets, right? And so he was the comparison to Trez is apt to me in this way. Trez always had this great feel of how to find space, right? When right. you're in the restricted area or around the basket, it gets crowded really quickly. And your ability to navigate the wash, like they call that the wash in football, right? When you're Mm -hmm. like a linebacker and there's all these blocks going on around you and and you've got to chase down the ball handler, There's you can get caught up in the wash and then suddenly the running back is out the other side and you're like, oh shit, now I'm behind the play. Mm -hmm. Cedric Sabalos, 
and this is how Trez was too. Like they would not get caught up in the wash. They had a way of bouncing around in there and slipping into the open areas where nobody was. And oftentimes at angles and at the precise time where that's where the ball was going to go and he would just slither his way in there and now he's got the ball and he's getting a put back and it's just like I feel like those two years with with the Lakers he was over 20 points each of those years it felt like half of those came on garbage man points on the exact type of points that Chick Hearn was saying like yeah oh there's said it again the garbage man getting another layup off of an offensive rebound or the ball got deflected and oh look whose hands it fell into it fell right into Cedric Sabalos's hands and he had this knack for just being in the right place at the right time and to the untrained eye and at that time my eye was less trained than it Likewise. is now it did seem like it was luck Right. Like it seemed like, oh, there he is again. How that happened. But looking back and sort of looking at it through in 2020 hindsight tells you like, no, man, this dude was special in terms of how he navigated the areas around the basket. And not a lot of players. There's not a lot of players who have had that sort of trait over the course of their career and, and have it be one of their top attributes. And I feel like Trez is like that. I feel like Anton Jameson was like that. There, there's been other guys, but if you're an NBA fan of our age or of more recent ilk, those are names that said would remind you of those guys if you never got to see him play in his prime. I think we may get a decent number of situations in this upcoming season that fit that. I'm one of the parts of the game that I think – I want to understand better and that I want to communicate better are those scramble situations, are those loose balls, those tap outs, those two players go up for the rebound, uh, you know, and, and one guy taps it back and the other guy's positioned in the right spot. A lot of that's not by accident. And winning those battles, there's so many, uh, you know, getting more possessions, more opportunities. That's one thing that Russell Westbrook does extremely well is yeah. that ability to clean up to not give up an offensive rebound because your big man boxed out a center that and and then he's coming in from behind to box him in right and and just winning loose balls you know just a, a certain these are so taken for granted because they're not complex they're not five guys operating in unison to achieve a, a, a goal right it's a matter of want it and hunger and you talked about uh, guys like Trez and Sabalos not getting caught up in the wash. They weren't tall enough to get caught up in the wash. Yeah. Right. Like they weren't able to go over the the wash. They had to be able to go around it and bounce off of it. And I, let's zoom out a bit because this is one of the reasons why I think that Sabalos is important is that having production in that way, I, I want to hear your thoughts on how that impacts the way the rest of your team can operate. Like it, when you get production in those scramble type of situations that are not structured, what that allows you to do as a team. Well, for one, it allows you to give dedicated offensive possessions to other players. Yeah. Right? And that whole, like there's only one ball thing. Right. And that can be overblown at times, but it, the saying exists for a reason. Right. It's because if you have too many guys who actually need the ball within the context of throw it to me so I can go do something. Right. Those guys are super valuable. Right. 
Those guys are the cream of the crop of the entire NBA, right? Yeah, like, they're also plentiful, right? That's how we all practice basketball and play basketball. And it's really only the cream of the crop that can justify throwing yes. them the ball every single time. But the history of the league is that's the history of the league. It's for sure. It, it's Michael Jordan. It's it's Kobe Bryant. It's Kevin Durant. It's LeBron James. Like these dudes have the ball. We just talked about Magic Johnson. He's not getting you 17 assists because one of his teammates happened across the ball, right? Like, no, he had it. And now I'm giving it to you in a place where you're going to score pretty easily. And that's how I get 17 assists or 20 assists in a game. And so there's certain types of players where you want to give those guys those opportunities, right? Like they need the ball in order to be able to do their thing. And the Lakers after Magic Johnson, and this is... It's very conventional, and this isn't rocket science here. Every team that's going to go far into the playoffs needs one of those guys, right? Absolutely. And so the the seeking out and trying to find one of those guys is at the top of the priority list for every team in the league. And so when we were talking about what the Lakers were trying to do, right, they were hopeful that Anthony Peeler could be a guy who could like, oh, could could this guy turn into Reggie Miller? Can we run him off of screens? Can we set pin downs for him? Can we run floppy action, right? It wasn't necessarily called that then, but this is the same type of stuff that they were doing. Like, could he be an even higher volume Byron Scott type of player, right? And people forget Byron led the Lakers in scoring one of those years that the mm-hmm. Lakers won the championship. He was a very good NBA player. Mm-hmm. And so then when you get an Eddie Jones, it's sort of like the same thing. Like, oh, can this dude be a dynamic guy with the ball in his hands? Can he be a high-flying finisher? Can he be a Clyde Drexler type maybe, right? And so you are seeking out these players. But in order to nurture them and still win – Right. Because you can't give a bunch of possessions to guys who are too young and who don't know what they're doing. Magic Johnson's come around once every 50 years. Right. So they're not ready at 20 years old. And so you can fill in if you have a guy like Sabalos. Right. Who's getting you 20 points a game. What Really, you might run five or six plays for him an entire game. Right. Like, okay, we're going to get set a mid post touch so that he can turn in face and try to beat you off off of the dribble. We might come. We might run him off a couple of screens in in order to get him the ball like on the move. But that was it. And so that ability to score it, it allows you to say, all right, well, let's dedicate other possessions to the Van Exels, the Eddie Jones, the Anthony Peelers. Hey, let's give Eldon Campbell and Vlade a couple of post touches, right? Because said is going to eat in the way that he eats, and that's going to help us. It also allowed Vlade to facilitate from the top of the key. Yes. That was one of the interesting things about that team. We were one of the first teams uh, with Vlade. Like Vlade, if, if you didn't watch his playing career, I'd probably characterize him as a like a poor man's Jokic. Like he contributed in similar areas and in similar ways, just not as well. He wasn't the player that, that Jokic is. But he was a really good passer, um, could shoot that jumper from the top of the key. This is before the thought process was, hey, you know, step – 
take a step and a half back and, and make that count for three points. This is before that was really a thing. But that top of the key jumper was a big thing. And what that did is that was one of the first really effective inversions of an offense, I thought. Yeah. Um, you know, that we saw how the game developed later, where that's all the time. We were talking about delay actions with Marcus Sol the other day. There's a bunch of centers that facilitate from the top of the key. And so having a wing who can kind of sweep the baseline and score off the ball allowed for that further degree of ball dominance from not just our guards, but also our, our bigs. It's interesting, too, because the illegal defense rules at the time really helped promote the idea of can a lot of bigs spaced to 20 feet, right? They spaced in order to give other people opportunities to post because a lot of times your post players were your small forwards and your centers, right? Like James Worthy posted a ton, a guy like Adrian yeah. Dantley and Mark Aguirre. And mm-hmm. there were all of these sort of wings, guys that would be called wings during our era, during this era now, they were post players. Yeah, this wasn't, this isn't really a position that exists much anymore. Bonzi Wells, you know, a little bit later than you were talking about these two guards, you know, small forward. Jimmy Butler is probably the the archetype of that type of player in today's NBA. The illegal defense rules at the time, without it being complicated too much here, is if you did not have the ball, on offense and you stood basically out by the three point line your defender could not he had if you were above the break your defender had to be above the free throw line in order to not be illegal right and if you were and if you were on the wing he had to be outside the lane line right and right. and so and they didn't do it with 3 seconds they did it with like they would count and be like, okay, is he lurking a little bit too too long? And so this meant that you couldn't double team before a guy had the ball. There was it had all of these ramifications. They, they so, also had kind of like an arms distance rule, right? That's kind of yes. how they measured it. Was if the defender wasn't within arms distance ish, they were they were going to whistle that. And and so a lot of bigs would space out there. Like AC Green used to space out there. He used to, Kurt Rambis used to space out there. They used to space in order to give James Worthy post-up opportunities or to give Kareem or Magic post, post-up opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't though until Vlade, and there were other bigs who for sure. could do this, this was, right? Like, mm-hmm. like Bill Lane Beer did, did this for the Pistons, the Pistons for, yeah. for example. But they would space and then you could play through them at the top of a key. And so said was not a classic post up small forward, right? But he operated in those same areas of the floor. He just did it very differently. And so that symbiotic relationship that exists between a high post big man like a Vlade and a restricted area wing small forward type like like said, those two allowed each other to sort of play to each other's strengths more more often. And it did give the Lakers a different look than what you were going to get from a lot of teams during that that era. 
Very much so. And I think that helped catalyze that important jump. And so we go these two years, um, we beat the Seattle Supersonics, good old George Carl and the Seattle Supersonics. We upset them in the first round, have a great series against San Antonio in, uh, and I may be mixing up my 94s and 95s as the years go by. This, uh, the, the, the years do bleed together. But uh, we upset the Sonics one year. We lose to San Antonio in the second round in a, in a fun series. But they were clearly a better team. They were the number one seed. And then we have that that Cedric's final year. Well, although he played a little bit longer with us, was that crazy 95-96 season where Magic comes back. Van Exel gets suspended for shoving, what was his name? Daryl Garrettson, I think is was I, the I rep. think so. Yes. Um, and then Sabalos in I think March or so has his Lake Havasu incident, right? Where we don't nobody can find Cedric. And so we lose in the first round that season. We sign Shaq that offseason, though. Magic retires for good at that point. We sign Shaq. We draft Kobe, but Kobe at the time was a minor figure, right? He was a we were trying to win a championship and he was 17 years old when we drafted him. So while he became a, a larger figure later, players like Van Exel and Eddie Jones, you know, were higher up on, on the hierarchy there. But we we still keep Sabalos to start the year. And he only plays eight games for us. The And one of the impacts was signing Shaq made a lot of that baseline sweeping and scoring around the basket. There's just there's no space around the basket when Shaq is in the game, in part because the defense is collapsing into the paint. And so those opportunities where you have a Vlade at the five spot, it's interesting how different players interact with each other. As good of a fit as Sabalos was with Vlade, much more difficult for him. So he only, I think he scored like eight points a game in, eight games and he ends up getting traded for Robert Ori who's on the trade block because he's thrown a towel in Danny Ainge's face it all comes together D I'm saying there's a there's a a celestial you know higher purpose going on here all these things are tied together I mean (laughs) Ori should have gotten an eighth championship ring for throwing a towel in in Danny Ainge's face right And, and so the Lakers they did send said back to Phoenix where he Sabalos had had that early career success, right? And they do get back Ori, and then, as they say, the rest is history, right? The Lakers then also, too, they get Rick Fox later on, and this idea of, all right, well, those are now the role-player pillars right. for a championship team, right? In the same year, they draft Kobe, they draft Eric Fisher, they get Shaq. Right. They flame out a couple of years under Del Harris. They bring in Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson brings in Ron Harper. They go with AC Green for one year at Power Four. Then they get Horace Grant. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like, okay, well, now we're cooking with fire. It's very similar to the circumstances we're in now, right? Where the team that kind of like got us to that, you know, we're a first round uh, type of squad. All those dudes were gone by the time we started winning championships. It wasn't just Cedric. It was Vlade was obviously gone when we signed Shaq, but also Eldon ended up getting traded. Eddie gets traded. Van Exel gets traded. But those teams are super important to me because like they helped, they helped us get there. Even if none of those guys stuck around. It's like the baby Lakers. Right. Right. The Julius Randles. And that's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. And the D'Angelo Russell and the Lonzo Ball. Right. Like Josh Hart. Those guys, I'll always have an affinity for those guys, too. Right. Just like I'll have an affinity for Setsabalos and Vlade, because while the baby Lakers didn't win as much as we would have liked them to have when we invested in them. And right. 
if if you weren't around during the Lake Show years, the 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 and the period right after, and I'll bring it back to the beginning of what we were discussing at the start of the pod. If you weren't around when Magic actually retired, and sort of the how that galvanized people around yeah. the team, right? The idea of man, like they don't have Magic anymore, and 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 it's for reasons that like hurt. We were sad. Yeah. over this right the the way that the lakers played the way that they played hard the way that they mm-hmm. sort of came together as a group and said like we're not folding yeah right there was a spirit in that that i think really got the fans invested in them and then in a weird way, when they miss the playoffs and then they draft a guy like Eddie Jones, right, who then is sort of a revelation in and of like he was no one knew who Eddie Jones was. Right. Like he played for Temple. We live on the West Coast. How many Temple games? How right. many A10 games did you watch? Pete? <laughs> Not too many. R- right. And so and, and catching up on draft prospects in 1994, very different experience than it is in 2021. There was no YouTube. Right. Right. <laughs> so Eddie Jones, when we first start to see him and and he's he's dunking from like outside the lane. Right. I and, loved Eddie. Oh. And, and he's catching lobs and mm-hmm. the instant chemistry that him and Van Exel had. Right. Yeah. And so Van Exel had already sort of given us like, oh, check this guy out. Yeah. Oh, his rookie year. Mm-hmm. Oh, this dude's fun. Mm-hmm. Like, look at this dude. He's throwing behind the back passes. He's faking behind the back passes and and doing around the back dribbles and, and breaking people's ankles and, with that, you know, herky jerky style. And he's yep. double clutching layups and he's left handed. And so I know you. Right. Oh, like, yeah. Yes, sir. Right? And so, oh, you're a lefty. You're already oh, up guy. there for That's me. Right. right. That's right. If you're of a certain age, if you weren't shadow boxing after you had a good play on the, the playground that you and me weren't built the same. That's right. right. Like, we were not, like, we're not the same, same type, right. type of dude. <laughs> and, and so Van Exel was, he was that he was ours. And then you get Jones and then, Oh, now they've got said, and it's just like, and then they get an upset in the playoffs and you're like, Oh, look at these dudes. And a win in that circumstance, getting to the second round, it wasn't like winning a championship, right? But it was our own little mini thing that we could hold close. Magic Johnson retired because he got HIV. Yeah, we thought he was going to die. We thought he was going to die, right? Yeah. And now he's, you you know, he's out on the yacht doing Magic Johnson things. We were just it's talking be- about, about it. Thing, it's, 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 it's a wonderful thing. But that era... That short window in between when Magic retired and when the Lakers got Shaq and then when Kobe really started to show that he could be something, right? Like 98, 99, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, this dude, okay, yeah. yeah, we got something with this dude now, right? And the Lakers got Eddie and Kobe and Shaq and Van Exel, and it's just like, oh, man, they're going to do something. But it was those Lake Show teams. It was Van Exel and Eddie Jones and Sabalos, right? Like they were the core of a team that you felt like 
Like I I want these dudes like I want to watch these dudes every single night because they're fun and they play hard and they play together like a family, right? Like do you remember the team this is much later where the Lakers still had Powell, but they had like Nick Young and and they had um Oh, I forget his name. Jordan Hill. Jordan Hill. Uh, right. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Jordan Hill. Because that team was just fun, right? They had like, uh-huh. I think they had Jeremy Lin for a little bit. And it was sort of just like, oh, this team, Kobe was in and out of the lineup because he was getting hurt still. This was after the the Achilles tear. And there were just some nights where they were just fun, right? Remember Pow hit the three and then he's doing the, the Nick Young three-point cel- celebration uh, sure, with Nick sure. Young. And they're just sort of laughing and there was a joy there, sure. and that team wasn't nearly as good as these Lake Show teams. But yeah, I was there was say, a, that team kind of drove me crazy. To be but there were nights though where they were fun, for sure, for sure, right? And but imagine an entire season of that level of fun yes. and that level of like, oh man, like what are we in for tonight? They're gonna play hard. They're they're probably gonna win because they were mm-hmm. a good team, and they're going to entertain you. And while they weren't Showtime. They were the Lake Show. That's right. And the Lake that, Show Lakers. That's right. That little era wasn't long because soon, soon, soon enough, they had Shaq and it was championship or bust again. But that little window into the mind of a Lakers fan, if you were a fan during that time, I can guarantee you, you have good thoughts around what that period was and that's why when you said the other day like hey man like i don't know if you saw said he was on twitter and he was saying that he's not he's not doing well he's coronavirus and he's been in the icu i'd love to reflect on sabalos and then in turn reflect on that era lakers team and i was all for it because that was a fun team and that those were good times to be a Lakers fan, yeah. even though they weren't going to win an NBA championship, even though they, they didn't have one of the top five or 10 players in the league. It was still great to be a Lakers fan. And Sabalos was a big part of that. It was a big part of that. He brought us a lot of happiness, a lot of fun nights, especially in, in our teenage years, man, and just wanted to send him some uh good Lakers vibes and, and love his way. Keep battling Cedric. You're loved by, by Lakers nation. Um, it's been really fun to reflect back on this time and on, on Cedric with you, man. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow uh, with another episode of the Laker film room podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Toby. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Score. 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 Score
It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.